in this week's episode of From the Top. Fair Verona, where we lay our scene, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Well, f*** you. <laughs> like, I can relate to it in a way that makes me feel good, because those songs remind me of a period of time that was so happy and so fun. It is William Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway, not the one who cut her hair for an Oscar, but <laughs> the one... Oh my god, I think I'm actually crying. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I'll say, and this is my last devil's advocate for this douchey white guy who just has a tight bod and doesn't know how to deal with his feelings. So I was having a fun discussion um, with, I don't know what to call them because it's not the theater ghost, which was the former roommate. And now we have the <laughs> phantom, but what do we, what do we call it? It's kind of like the tech booth guy. Call, it's, it's the TD. I mean that. Oh, oh that's yeah. That's funny. Isn't that's that initials? So that's funny. <laughs> Here I am. Your just, Tyler, my Tyler. Yeah, yeah. So, Technical director. Yes. You were talking to your TD. He was complaining about how he's soon to approach his gay death, which is 30. I was like, you don't get to talk about this. I have been living in gay purgatory for a very long time because I'm gay dead and I'm just, you know what, but it's freeing, right? You just get to live your, it's like the afterlife. You're like, woo, I get to do what I want. Exactly. But I'm definitely feeling it because now I listen to like contemporary songs, like for example, like a uh, modern day Nicki Minaj song is just her talking about how she's getting banged up by this huge ass dick. And... (laughs) I'm just going, you know, songs used to have to like dance around this topic and use cute little inference and be like double entendre. No, No, she's just like, yo, put that big ass cock in my wet ass pussy. And I'm like, okay, Jesus. But but maybe that's just me in my old age. Are we finally at the point where our, like when our parents were listening to the music that we were listening to when we were like teenagers and they're like, oh my, what the f***? is even in this right now yeah exactly i think we're there however the show we're doing today is right up our alley yay i'm so excited oh god Uh, it's like the perfect music i I still listen to this music truly actually the only music i listen to it is firmly (laughs) the period of time that i will always live in regardless of my age because you i feel like i primed myself in this era of music and then just kind of left everything else i'm like nope i have reached my maturity this is where i live uh this is what's going to be playing in our retirement home (laughs) just the thought of that makes me want to drop it like it's hot that's so good (laughs) we have to get into this because we can't keep us waiting any longer we can't keep the fans waiting any longer so we better take this show from from the the top top. from the top a five six seven Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. And my name is Mary, and I really like the show today when you say, I don't know. And my name is Steven. Tell me why. <laughs> my name is Steven. Tell me why. And your name is Mary. Tell me why. We're doing a show about pop music and young lovers who loved each other for three days. <laughs> 
Well, oh my goodness, folks, ladies, gentlemen, and those who have yet to decide, we are in our final episode of our season two, our season about death. We are putting the literal nail in the coffin with this last show, and I am really excited to get into this conversation tonight. We are discussing a brand new musical that hit Broadway or hit the West End in 2019 and has since been making waves and doing all of the things for being an incredible jukebox musical. We are discussing And Juliet. I may run and hide when you're screaming my name Alright But let me tell you now There are prices to fame Alright So good to be here Welcome everyone Can't you see, can't you see How your love's affecting our reality Every time we're down You can make it right And that makes you love. You're just gonna be singing <laughs> All the music on this, this whole show. Oh my God. Because I don't know. I think that to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever seen a jukebox musical legitimately use music of a particular era in such a great form to be able to tell a story that is so much older than what it is. We're talking about Shakespeare, which is like a timeless thing. Mm -hmm. We talk about Shakespeare in this way that will stand the test of time probably forever. These are original stories and things that deal with life. Then we're taking music uh, from from such a modern era and then showing how timeless Shakespeare can be mm-hmm. by inserting these new pop music songs into oh. this. I also am loving that this new Broadway show is hearkening back to old Broadway where they used to take pop songs of the time in early parts of the you know 20th century and would make plots around the hit songs. I did not think that I would be able to watch a show about Romeo and Juliet and still sing along to Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, NSYNC, error code 404 my brain a little bit, but it was in a beautiful way. I relate to it on a different level that isn't just the source material or isn't the subject matter. Like I can relate to it in a way that makes me feel good because those songs remind me of a period of time that was so happy and so fun. Anyway. (laughs) We could talk about this forever. I know. But Mary, I need a synopsis. Three sentences or less. So again, because we're in this gauntlet, I decided to take notes again. And also I wrote a synopsis again. Um, However, it's more of like a high level kind of synopsis, like a high level overview, almost like not nearly as concise as like my or specific as my other ones have been. I thought you were going to say it was a haiku. I will not. Here's what I have for my synopsis of Anne Juliet. Anne Juliet is literally a just a giant what if scenario. This story begins with the death of Romeo and shows us what can happen when the heroine takes control of her own story. Through adversity, love, and a few amazing dance numbers, we are shown the power of using your own voice to tell the world what you want and never settling for less. Ooh, see? Yeah, it's I. It, who run the world? Girls. Not that that's a song in here, but uh, it's, again, of that era. Yeah. We're ending our season of death with this, I called it like a rebirth, yeah. but it starts out with, uh, you know, where our knowing of Romeo and Juliet end. Mm-hmm. They both die at the end. But what happens when only one dies and the other gets to explore and have chances, a second chance, we'll say, a mm-hmm. rebirth, like a phoenix 
rising from the ashes. What do you do with that extra time, essentially? The, the main plot of And Juliet... Juliet is now on a self-exploration mission. She has to deal with the fact that her parents would have rather seen her dead than marry someone from another family. So it's it's kind of awkward, right? So we have these beautiful moments with her best friend May and the nurse, of course, who is just the comedic relief we all need I know. in our lives. Angelique. Oh. They decide let's do what everyone in their young youth should do let's travel and explore the world and see things that need uh need to be seen to grow eventually through lots of a comedy of errors we'll say in Mm -hmm. shakespeare fashion uh (laughs) she ends up in a potential other fling that's never gonna work because uh he himself is finding things out about himself this new love interest and they they ultimately end up uh wanting to uh be the writer of their own story in a way. Speaking of, there's this whole other secondary plot. This is Drowsy Chaperone on steroids because it is William Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway, not the one who cut her hair for an Oscar, but the <laughs> one the one who was married to Mr. Bill Shakespeare. They are at odds. Anne just wants validation for almost a loveless marriage because he's off being popular in London while she's in the country raising a family and he's having all the spoils of all of this, but she just wants him. So we get to see this duality of Romeo and Juliet versus William Shakespeare and his actual life. I love that B plot that that like sub storyline that we get to watch because like there one of the things about this show that I really enjoyed was the fact that there was kind of such a beautiful flow between when we were out of the story quote and have and like having a moment between Anne and William and then going right back into what we were talking about as if there was no kind of break in that and it was just it gave it such a wonderful depth that I really wasn't expecting because normally when you break fourth walls like that or when you do stuff like that like it just it feels really jarring but like in this particular show they managed to navigate that with a lot of finesse and it was very cool so good because not only does it allow for like the meta-ness of it all to work but it almost added to what we were about to watch or what Mm -hmm. we were watching so it added more information and yeah like you said it just made it like chef's kiss cherry on top yes absolutely i feel we've dropped literally every name but now we need to know (laughs) 
are literal players, as <laughs> Shakespeare would say. So because this is currently, you know, actively on Broadway, and I don't know if it's still playing on the West End, but uh, so we are going to go to the most reputable site on the internet, wikipedia.com. <laughs> Have you donated your 275 yet? No, I'm not going to. No, no. I don't know. Maybe that says something about me. Anyway, knowing that we are dealing with characters that uh, come from Shakespeare, a lot of these probably are very familiar to people. This ensemble, I would say, probably is anywhere from 16 to 20 people. You got your dance ensemble. They fill out a lot of the scenes. Um, what we're going to, the people that we're going to name, we've got, looks like eight named players here to kick off our band of merry players. Uh, we're going to start with Juliet Capulet. Unfortunately, Wikipedia does not have like my blurbs of these things. So of course, you know, Stephen, please interject when I don't, when I miss a thing. Um, but Juliet is, you know, uh, our main protagonist. She's, uh, hers is the story that we are following. Um, she is the one who, of course, you know, the houses of Capulet and Montague, uh, they're the ones that are fighting in the beginning of Romeo and Juliet. She wakes up finding that Romeo has killed himself and decides that she's not going to go that way. She's like, what if this is me getting a second chance at being able to like actually live my life? And so she, it really feels to me like she's the teenager that finally got let loose off the leash and was like, oh my God, here's the world. And is this, what, what do we do out here? Oh God, this is so fun. And everything is like shiny and new when you're like 16. You know, it's pretty much the journey that I think we all have at that young age. Her story right now specifically mirrors the journey that so many young women are on. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think it's so beautiful to be able to mirror that now with something so old. Absolutely. So following behind Juliet, we have Anne Hathaway, who also is a named character April in the story that Anne and William are writing. And Anne Hathaway, of course, is the wife of William Shakespeare. She, maybe not the voice of reason for William, but like she's most definitely the embodiment of the adage behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. Throughout this story is kind of correcting William as he's writing it because she's trying to write this with him and she's trying to offer different perspective and so she writes herself into the story as Juliet's best friend named April the cutest line because there's another character in here that is also named after a month so it's April May and July yet <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> it literally cackled out loud. It was delightful. But, I mean, she and William both are kind of like our narrators in a sense, but like only in the context of when we zoom out of this actual story, we understand that they are the storytellers kind of writing what's going on. Um, so speaking of William Shakespeare, that's the next on our call sheet. Um, of course, you know, the the father of the modern play. Um, I mean, you could say that he was a, I mean, name a moniker. He probably has done it, but turns a phrase and like, he'll say that and he goes, yeah, I'm the one who wrote that. And it's like, it's like the, yeah, the person who like knows they did something good. So they want everybody to recognize that that's what they did. It's like, mm. yeah. yeah. Oh, His Bill. ego is definitely big <laughs> in this one, which isn't so unfar from actual history. Like we all know that, William Shakespeare was a little bit of a pretentious man, a little bit, <laughs> riddled with problems. Yeah. yeah. He, walking down the street, he absolutely would have been paparazzi. Like, it oh. would have been this issue. So he's full of himself. He's having these major egotistical ideas of what he does, thinks he's God's gift to all. Mm -hmm. But I think it'll be interesting to talk about him when we get there. Oh, pretty baby, I shouldn't have let
So next on the call sheet, of course, we do have some folks who are French. Uh, so I apologize in advance if I butcher <laughs> the things because <laughs> it's French. I pronounce it as Lance Dubois, but of course, like in the show, they make fun Dubois. Well, yeah, Du Bois Band's back. Du Bois Band right. is back. <laughs> oh my God. Lance is the father to Francois, or Frankie, as we come to know him in the show. And we we find out that there is a very particular connection between Lance and Angelique, who is Juliet's nurse, which we will talk about. I mean, he's he's got some plot drivers in his storyline that kind of move the thing forward. Honestly, I kind of love the fact that he's just an over-the-top Frenchman. Like, we just get to see this smarmy lover boy yes. like, thing take over, yes. and it's so good. It's so good. Oh my god his giant pleather cod piece let's go (laughs) (laughs) he fried up that fish real good oh my god (laughs) next on the call sheet we have may and may is the uh, non-binary best friend of juliet uh may has a very interesting relationship with francois that we discover throughout the show which kind of leads to a little bit of conflict a little bit of turmoil but it also ultimately ends up putting everybody's storylines kind of where they need to, where they not need to belong, but where they were destined to be. Um, And May struggles a lot in the show with the splitting of the genders, right? We've got, I mean, they've got a couple of really great uh, numbers where we're kind of dealing with this inner turmoil of like, how do you exist in a binary world? And I mean, it, uh, of course, I don't know this struggle, so I always appreciate a a lens to be able to look in on it. And I think that it gives the show a really good amount of depth to have a non-binary character in there, especially one that is so close to Juliet. Like, I just, I loved that specific um, choice. I do also love that, like, they bring up when May is introduced. Mm-hmm. And Shakespeare's immediately like, what? What is this? I, I cannot have this. And... <laughs> She goes off on him to be like, well, actually, you had you for years had men dressed as women who would then have to redress as men. So what is gender for you? And uh, who are you to tell me that this is absolutely incorrect? So, so good. Feed it to so him I mean, and let's go. He just sits there silently and she goes, questions? OK, good. And then they continue the scene. And it was just like the perfect uh, slap in the face. It she's was my the perfect s- slap in the face. And next on the call sheet, we have Romeo Montague. Of course, uh, you know, canonically, Romeo is the love interest of Juliet. In this particular iteration, Romeo, uh, <laughs> something happens with Romeo that we'll talk about, but he gets reinserted into the story and kind of has to fight his way back into Juliet's heart, which I find a rather fascinating kind of subplot. Um, but of course, you know, Romeo from the House of Montague is the one who married marries Juliet and they are go to run away together. He ends his life thinking that Juliet is dead. And um, I appreciate the fact that we do not see him until like act two. You know, we talk about him throughout act one because of course this traumatic thing has happened to Juliet and she's like, I am just trying to move on. Like I just want to live my life. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now you've got to deal with this thing too. There's something so lovable about just the dumb love struck boy. I don't know. Uh, That's just, I yeah, don't know. yeah. No, we'll, I mean, I'll give we'll, it to we'll, you. 
We'll definitely talk about Romeo, though. Oh, oh my God, I'm ready. Uh, next, we have Angelique, who is also uh, Juliet's nurse. Um, and Angelique, oh, my God, I would play this character in a New York minute. She is so fun. She's absolutely the so comic good. relief that you need. And she, so uh, hers, her relationship with uh, Lance Dubois uh, is revealed kind of uh, in the middle of Act One, I would say. And um, theirs is a really cute story that is also kind of a subplot that goes throughout this show. But um, Angelique, she's watching over Julia because she, but she's trying to give her space to be able to like discover her life and like, you know, really like get out of life what she wants. And I appreciate her as a character because she's not trying to correct Juliet she's trying to give her some life advice and be like sis do you really want to do this right now and all of us yeah. need that person in our life I think 1000 <laughs> percent. I think that's the best way because you know you need life experience you need to have failures so you can have successes nope. you kind of need to be put through a few trials in life and you need to figure out how to navigate that and grow from that so I think it's great that this nurse figure who's always been this even in the original Romeo and Juliet not only is she the comedic relief (laughs) but she's she's been this sort of like over archangel in a way to Juliet and then the advice giver and it's so good and lastly to round out your call sheet we've got Francois Dubois Dubois um and Francois Frankie Dubois Frankie Frankie hey ho Frankie oh my god Frankie he they so Juliet and her, you know, group of friends uh, meet Francois because they they crash his party. So there is a party that Dad is throwing him because he's of course trying to marry off Francois, and it's either you get married or you go in the army. These are your only two options. And so they crash the party. Uh, Juliet meets Francois. They start, you know, they they find a connection. But Francois figures out some things about himself and who he may or may not like, which then of course, like I said, leads to some plot drivers in the show. But uh, he, I guess, you would consider him. Uh, our male protagonist uh, because his is kind of the sub story that we follow because he is so entwined with Juliet. But that, my love, is your call sheet for Anne Juliet. Oh, God's lady, it's your mother. What's she going to think? I don't care what she thinks. Yes. I don't care what anyone thinks. Yes. I'm getting out of here. Yes. Yes. Oh, my Lord. I need a drink. Oh, baby, baby, got me feeling so right every single one of them. Seriously. Is, Seriously. Uh, people say like Broadway's attention span, the TikTok generation. Like uh, we can't, don't give we me can't do this anymore. I'm like, <laughs> no, uh, you're talking to the generation that can also sit down on their couch and binge nine hours of one series. Yes. So like, uh, let's just get that clear. And I don't think it's an accident because it took a lot of time and talent to string these sort of songs together mm. and not only are we using these tropes that are stand the test of time but everything is rooted in sort of realism yeah and i think that's a perfect segue into where we need to start from the top and that's from the beginning that will bring us back To 
households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Well, f*** you. (laughs) (laughs) From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their lives, um, whose misadventure piteous overthrows do with death uh, marry their parents' strife. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's my one and only flex. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I think that shows just how much I'm not into the source material. Like I've read it. I've studied it. I do whatever I, but I, again, I can't deal with the three day issue and how young (laughs) can't do it. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Oh, but speaking of this old time and place, and maybe it wasn't so bad for a 14-year-old to get married eh. way back when, 1500s, la la la. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate 1500s, la la la. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our From the Beginning does start with Shakespeare, of course. Sure. I mean, where else shall we start? But I'm going to throw some stuff at you that maybe you don't even know about this since you can apparently soliloquy quote... <laughs> half this shit <laughs> sorry it's You're the fine. weirdest flex i have in my repertoire hey uh, i am into it and it was only applicable for this show the only time i'm ever gonna whip out that flex is for this show actually i found something really cool Funny. me and juliet is a rogers and hammerstein show that i have never heard of what no what yeah a 1960s musical set in the 1950s by Rodgers and Hammerstein. I have never heard of it. All right. And uh, like, I, I'm going to have to, it was like that little Easter egg nugget. I went, what the hell? What What is is this? this? Definitely going to update you on that later. Shakespeare, of course, is our principal source for the plot of Romeo and Juliet. But Romeo and Juliet was actually based off of a uh, short story that Shakespeare read called The Tragical History of Romeus and Juliet. It was a long narrative poem written in 1562 um, by an English poet, Arthur Brooke. Now, he had based this poem on a French translation of a tale by an Italian writer, Matteo Bandello. Okay. We're going to side plot this whole thing. Side plot. Because can we talk about how Shakespeare drew inspiration from, like, the media at his disposal? Like, he's getting <laughs> shat upon for this. Like, oh, why is he so great? Like, why is he, like, known for all time for all this crap when he's just taking stories from other people? And I'm kind of over it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tell me how you really feel, babe. (laughs) Okay, because what are we comparing this to? Nothing being churned out right now is even remotely original. Every single writer in the course of time has only written about things that they know. Even if you write fiction, you're still writing things that you know. You're basing it in stuff you already have seen, heard, or experienced. Like, nothing is new, new. There's nothing new. Yeah. So, like, even TikToks aren't original. The ones who make something that feel original are actually just 
doing things that are redone that they were inspired by. So like the popular everyone, 10 million people follower TikToks are taking something from a lesser known TikTok person, redoing it, and then they then get the clout and praise and whatever. Yep. Even though they might at the person that originally did it. Doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. People are going to remember it for the popular one. So that's exactly what Shakespeare's doing. He's just, he's the popular one taking an original idea. And there's something to say about he's the one that made it stick. I get the whole the concept of like it's unfair that like you have something that is not known at all and then you have a famous person who takes it and then makes it something that like everybody recognizes it's not something that belongs to you like intellectual property is something that people have been fighting over for decades and centuries like why do you think the public domain is something that exists like too many people were taking things that didn't belong to them and trying to give it a new skin that is just a a a thing with media everything old is new again everything that once was is coming back with a new like iteration so, like, I get that it's unfortunate and that it's, like, not fair, but unfor- that's just the era we live in now. Influencers yeah, take I, stuff and just run with yeah. it. We're we're going to be fighting this forever. Until the end of time. Like, yes. I, I know it's going to be a thing. And I'm not necessarily saying Shakespeare was, like, this great man. No, we know through history that he wasn't a great man. No. But I just sort of wanted to bring that up as maybe, like, one can cool it on this, like, blame game situation. Thank you. Cool it. <laughs> Side plot. Side plot aside, talking about like reusing and reusing and reusing, this Matteo Bandello based his story off of another story by a, a Luigi de Porto. So not only is this like recycled three times before Shakespeare got it. What? <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm taking you back, girl. Take me back, sis. Let's go. All right. understand the story of Romeo and Juliet, we have to understand this story of Luigi de Porto. Okay. He's a young nobleman. He has a very idle life. He's rich. He's talented at writing. But this period of time is early 1500s, okay? Okay. Um, lots of battles are happening for power grabbing. We're still in this form of trying to figure out who owns what, who's in power. Renaissance time. Not only is there high art, there's high tension. <laughs> de Porto is actually enlisted uh, in what is this sort of army of this time. He's marching alongside a man he's befriended. He talks a lot, just part of the culture, and he's sharing his stories with with this other man. (laughs) Now, this man he's telling the stories to is a man named Peregrino. He's in his 50s. He loves hearing this young man recant all his fun little stories, stories of his life, his antics, his loves, whom he is always having at this point even while he is enlisted he is having side pieces on their marches <gasps> around what a casanova let's go yeah so yeah deporto is this ladies man and along his travels he has found one lucina Severnian. 
Whoa, that sounds like the most expensive bottle of wine I've ever purchased in my life. Yes. He, at the beginning of what we now know is this story written by Luigi, um, opens his dedication to Lucina Savornion. Oh, baby. Let's go. Okay. Okay. We'll get back to her in a little bit. I like it. DePorto is telling all these stories, and he has now had this Lucina Savornion, <sighs> and he's obsessed with her. Uh, but he's hesitant. He's afraid. Uh, he doesn't know if he wants to commit. And Shocking. one day, Peregrino has some words of wisdom and his own story for DePorto. He's quoted as saying, he knows that it is easier to give advice than to follow it. He should not torment himself, for it is dangerous to follow love and almost always leads to a sad end. So he's trying to like impart this Aww. idea that uh, uh, the greatest gift you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Let's go. <laughs> but you still need to like follow this. This is clearly just part of life. Yeah. And even though it might end in trouble, it's still better to have loved at least. Then to prove what he says, he has his own story for him. Uh, and he starts to recant this story that happened to him in his hometown of Verona. And it was of unrequited star-crossed love. Oh. And it's the story of these two noble lovers who followed their passion and and then died miserably. So Peregrino does say that this story takes place at the time when Verona was ruled by Bartolomeo della Scala. Uh, and this is a time span. And we know that this is based on real people because he. It, this is a very precise period of time. This is the 1300s, 1301 to 1304. And in this same period of time, Dante is condemned to death in Florence and he seeks refuge in Verona. So he learned about all of these people. And it's actually quoted in chapter six six of uh, Dante's Inferno in Purgatory. He mentions uh, Montecchi and Capaletti, Ooh, the, okay. uh, the families who fought in these clashes that are happening right at this time. Sure. So we know that these are based off of real people. So Peregrino is absolutely talking about a real thing that happened. After being wounded in a battle, Deporta has a neck injury and leaves him paralyzed. <gasps> he is, for the rest of his life, sent to live in a villa in Montorso Vincentino, which is a family estate. Wow. And nobody knows what happened to Peregrino because they split at this time. He <gasps> probably died in this battle, oh. sadly, but um, that's that's this fate. So, but Luigi remembers the story that uh, Peregrino had told him. From this villa that uh, Deporta, or Deporto is destined to live at now for the rest of his life, he still is able to write. He can see two fortresses facing each other. One's from a Scala family, one was from the Montecchio Maggiore family. They're facing each other and just in his mind one day, looks at them and just thinks, oh, they were probably two rivaling families. Ergo, later, they were named the Castles of Romeo and Juliet. <clears throat> but we now, we now know that. This is where Luigi starts writing the story, and it's based on lo based loosely on the story that Peregrino had told him. But then also, we're bringing Lucina back into this. Yes. Uh, because uh, during this time when he was in service, Luigi did very much fall in love with this beautiful girl named Lucina. And not only was he having this tryst, but it was only over the course of like three to four days. Oh, okay. It does say that Luigi asked her father for permission to marry her. But because Luigi's family was noble and known, 
in a different area. And Miss Lucina Severnian's <gasps> family was a different noble one. Their beliefs didn't align. They did <gasps> not necessarily get along. Oh. He was denied. So that's why he was recanting and was a little bit of a lovesick puppy to Peregrino, oh. recanting the story, not being able to get over it. Oh. This is where this all sort of comes full circle, comes together. And so we see Luigi's full-on inspiration for how the story of Romeo and Juliet could come to be. It's kind of like this plausible thing that actually happened in history and is based on real people. Mm -hmm. But then because of his actual experience being denied because of two noble families is just perfect. So it's just the, but then he had his idealized ending and he, he specifically says that he's like, I created this so that they could live, be together forever and really stick it to their families. Like sure. that's what he wanted. He wanted this. Like that was how he was feeling. And little did he know that that would then become something so iconic really for the rest of all time. Mm -hmm. And then be told over and over and over. It's time that I learn to face up to this on my own. Come on, babe. I've seen so much more than you know now. So don't tell me to shut my eyes. I'm not a girl. Not yet a wanted to bring up maybe the actual origins of where Romeo and Juliet came from a little bit and you know because we we know him we know this story from Shakespeare but uh, I think we have time to get into Shakespeare and some other other things Kiss Me Kate or something Ooh, like that yeah so, sure yeah this was a more interesting thing to dive into a history of as far as this physical musical is concerned building the production of what we now know is and Juliet is a cute little story in and of itself yay David West Reed. Now, the thing I know this man from is one of my favorite things to uh, have hit television in recent memory. Schitt's Creek. He's actually a writer there. <gasps> Wait a minute. Okay, back that up. The person who wrote the book for this show was a writer on Schitt's Creek? Correct. Ah, no wonder I kept quoting the show. Ow, yeah. that's so your, cool. Your list of notes to me was like 50% quotes. And yeah. I'm like, I know why this is. <laughs> <laughs> that, okay. Well, now I just have a better appreciation for this show. Oh, that's cool. Continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it gets cuter. Oh my so God, David West Reed in a post-concussed state... <laughs> What? Because he hit his head on a kitchen cabinet in 2016. <gasps> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. He has hit his head. This might also be another familiar name, but one of his uh, good friends, Max Martin, a major Swedish producer and songwriter, uh, sent him a catalog of his famous pop anthems to listen to whilst uh, he was concussed. <laughs> oh, 
Holy <laughs> shit. Okay. David Westreed suddenly started having visions in his head of what a story could be and how these songs strung together. So an idea sparked. Max Martin had been wanting to do something of this ilk for a little while. Once he and David really started talking, he asked David to pitch him a concept for a musical hit using all of his songs. Now, if you don't know much about like the success of American pop music, it comes from this very cute little Swedish production studio run by Max Martin. It looks like a prison. It is unassuming. It is blah. It is just random. But Max (laughs) Martin got his start making hits for the Beatles. No way. Really? Yeah. And and so he has been rooted in making the world's best pop music. So cool. And uh, David Reed actually calls him the Shakespeare of pop music. So truly, <laughs> the rest is just history. They came up with this idea of And Juliet. And um, really, it just went on from there. The regular road to success mm-hmm. um, got put up on the UK West End in 2019. And it was so successful that they transferred it to Broadway after everything reopened after COVID um, to a lot of acclaim. Uh, was nominated Yay. for nine Tony Awards and uh, ended up, it, uh, it won Best Lighting, Best Sound, uh, also Best Choreography though, hey. and Best, best Orchestration. So. <gasps> That's so neat! What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? But you certainly were not on the guest list. Nurse, distract him. Oh, please, I am not going to be distracted by your nurse. Angelique? Lance. So you say I'm complicated. Wait, you two know each other? I mean, speaking of critical acclaim, there is no better way to, I mean, cha-cha slide, let's find any dance from this period of time that we can input in this show, and let's jump right into a critics review. Opening night, it's opening night. All right, so tonight's review does come courtesy of Variety.com. Uh, this was published on November 17th of 2022. Uh, this will be an excerpt from this review. It's not the full review, but um, we found the good meaty bits, and so we're going we're gonna to give you that. The Book of Anne Juliet by David West Reed from Schitt's Creek takes us on a meta-theoretical journey as Anne, played by Betsy Wolfe, fights with her husband, William Shakespeare, played by Stark Sands, to rewrite Romeo and Juliet with a happier ending for Juliet. Instead of dying, Juliet, played by Lorna Courtney, here learns that her beloved is a melodramatic jerk with many other lovers, and so she runs away to Paris and quickly gets embroiled in another romance. All of this could have come across as a high school English class assignment, but Reed manages to make it work. He clearly has respect for and knowledge of the source material, but also isn't afraid to highlight just how ridiculous this play really is. As we are reminded here, Romeo and Juliet only knew each other for four days. Though he keeps the characters true to the original, there are slight tweaks for modern sensibility, as when Anne brings Juliet's age up from 13, yikes, in parentheses, very funny, to her mid-20s. And Juliet builds on a rich but also very specific theatrical heritage. It's as if six, something rotten, head over heels, and Moulin Rouge all had a baby. 
And Juliet is an Elizabethan jukebox that draws on Tudor chic, contains a bevy of well-researched Shakespeare jokes and historical references, including the factoid that Shakespeare left Anne nothing but his second best bed in his will, and uses beloved pop songs to spread a palatable feminist message. The musical structure feels fittingly Shakespearean, though more in line with the bard's comedies. From the moment we meet the characters, it's abundantly obvious who will end up with whom and that everything will end happily. In fact, the musical could use more conflict, and although this is acknowledged by Shakespeare at the top of the second act, Reed doesn't manage to do anything substantial about it, leaving some of the action to feel belabored. Ooh. Oh my. I like See, I love it when it's not all just sugar. Sometimes they actually have something critical yeah. to say. So yeah. that and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I think with that comment, they were just sick of using the meta-ness of the show. Sure. Or like uh leaning on the meta-ness of the show to make the glaring plot gaps or things mm -hmm. make sense, I think is what they're talking about. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I feel like that's true. Act one of this is so tight. Act two feels a little hodgepodge. And like we had these songs left over and how do we make it fit? So I won't disagree with that at all. But at the end of the day, I think what they did was great and it doesn't change the overall message. Yeah. How much she needs me. Juliet is a big girl. She must be at least 14 by now. She's in her 20s. She's there, you go. And I am supposed to stay here with you when I don't even know what's going on in your heart. If you want it, Take it. I should have said it before. Try to hide it. Fake it. I can't pretend anymore. I only want to die alive. Never by the hands of a broken heart. It seems to be a little bit close to home for the two of us because like, you know, as we mentioned in the very beginnings of our podcast together, we started with a show that brought us together because we were both in it. But now we're talking about a show that we found together on a road trip in the middle of Montana, just scrolling through music. And all of a sudden we found this thing. So I think naturally we have to go into what is, so what is your experience? What is our experience? Yeah. yeah. Cause I had, I had moved to Portland and I think it was my first visit back. Mm -hmm. um, and th this is funny cause this was the time where we were debating on whether or not we should start a podcast. <laughs> oh my God, we were it was. On, we, were, we were on a little road trip um, down to Virginia City to see, again, we're bringing them up, our friend Errol, yep. uh, who is putting on a show down there. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what happened. We were just going through all the music. Yeah, we were I, going through a Broadway playlist on Spotify. I, I think I remember going, what's this? Have you heard of and Juliet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it had just hit on the West End. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think we didn't really know what it was. And of course we were in a position where we didn't really have very good cell service. And so you couldn't look up what it was. And I remember it was so, it was so fun because we were listening to the songs and going, 
what this has to be something about this and then it's oh this is where this is oh, in the show and yeah we were, we, we were trying to make it follow the story of romeo and juliet absolutely and we were actually we were actually doing a pretty good job yeah. so that made me then look at what the plot line is now and see if it follows pretty closely and it actually does like the overall plot of our show does follow the trajectory and sort of ups and downs uh. that Romeo and Juliet do have so I think that was maybe a smart thing on the writer's part but the fact that we were trying to take all of these songs and been like oh they made a jukebox musical out of modern songs for Romeo and Juliet that's really cool okay how did they fit into the story and then once we learned oh this is just Juliet this is cool for a while I thought oh this must be Juliet's take on all of this because uh most of romeo and juliet is from like romeo's perspective it's on the the man side of it all and the bromances with uh oh, him Lord. and Lord yep you know so hashtag bromance <laughs> <laughs> but yeah th- really we discovered the show together and we it was riddled in literally the birth of our podcast and uh yeah. i think we when we got back from that trip we sat down and recorded our first show so I'm almost pretty positive that that is exactly how that played out. I would kill to be a part of this show. Like I, whether I was an on in the ensemble or Angelique or Anne Hathaway, like I would, oh my God, in a New York minute, I would be part of this show if I could. Oh yeah, 100%. Who I would want to be, I don't know. There's so many good roles. There's just so many good roles in the mm-hmm. show. But yes, would definitely, would would do. <laughs> I love the fact that our history of this show is, I mean, maybe not the same. I mean, I know that we discovered it together, but like, I th- I think this is the first time that we have shared, you know, kind of the same, the same experience with a show. Spring Awakening didn't even do that for us because I had already done it. Because <laughs> to lose all my senses, that is just so typically me. Baby, oops, I did it again I played with your heart I got lost in the game Who, baby, baby, oops You think I'm in love That I'm sent from above I'm not that innocent You see, my problem is this I'm dreaming away Wishing that you, as my devil's advocate, the one that rarely sugarcoats anything for me. Um, what what are some some kind of milestones or mile markers we can use to kind of direct this conversation about this show? Ooh, well, I mean, our players definitely direct our conversation, but I think I want to start a little easier out of the gate. We brought this up earlier. A Shakespearean feeling right out of the gate, right? We yeah. have William Shakespeare divvying out the pages of his latest play that mm-hmm. he's doing. It really does feel like I'm transported to the Globe Theater. I, I love this idea right away. We, we've already said it. It feels like the meta-ness begins right at this point. Because not only do we have our players working on what characters they're going to be building for the story we're presenting that night, but we have this secondary plot that we now know we're going to be invested in, which is the story of Anne and William. 
and how their battle goes back and forth for power and what the story should be. It's not afraid. Love that about the show. It's really refreshing because a lot of times when you when you understand how meta your show is or when you try to do fourth wall breaks, that can come off as being very like campy or kitschy or you're doing it because you have nothing else to do and so you're trying to like have filler or like, you know, what name it whatever it is, that's probably what you're trying to do. But like with with this story in particular, I thought it was very cool because we we take the meta-ness of the show and we use it to really kind of support the thing that we talk about in many of these episodes. The theater is a mirror by which we reflect back onto society and we go, here are the things that you find ridiculous or here are the things that you like and we're, we're trying to give you a different view of this. And so the meta-ness of this show is so good because it... it um, truly feeds back into this kind of core like theme of being able to be the author of your own story. Because as we know, William Shakespeare, of course, is the, you know, is an author of many different works that continue to be, you know, uh, performed to this day. And, you know, we, we kind of touch on a little bit the fact that women in this time I mean, had absolutely no say in what was going on. Like, I mean, and to that point has a line about that in the show. And so I think that it's, it's a really cool device to be able to remind you of, I guess, the gravity of something that could seem so, you know, rote, right? Because everybody knows the story of Romeo and Juliet. And if you don't, you're lying. Everybody freaking knows it. There's not a person on God's green earth that doesn't know this this story. But I think that it's a really good way to kind of reground it and remind you that it really is just a story about, you know, taking control of your own life and trying to take it away from people who keep telling you, here's what you need to do. Now, Juliet is supposed to be 13 years old. So, of course, you're going to tell a 13-year-old what to do. But the grander kind of story of this is what happens when you take the pen and start writing your own narrative. Us girls, we are so magical. Soft skin, red lips, so kissable. Hard to resist, so touchable. Too good to deny it. Ain't no big deal, it's innocent. Okay, but you know that I'm not a, a girl, right? If that's you. It doesn't matter to me. I just like kissing you. It felt so wrong. It felt so right. Don't mean I'm in love tonight. I kissed a boy. Again, sort of showing the meta-ness of this and the discussions that would happen on a writing room floor or what William would have had mm -hmm. a discussion about. He and Anne have this discussion. Wait, wait, wait. I am not clubbing with a 13-year-old as they're trying to break into the Renaissance ball that Frankie <laughs> Dubois is hosting. Yep. And they're like, well, but this is based on historical fact. The person was 13. And they goes, that's not going to cut it. Let's just say we're all in our 20s. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's beautifully uh, a beautiful way to go, yes, we all understand that these were underage children, but we're just going to make it more palatable now because we can. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Because it's not just a story for children. It's no. a story for the ages. It's for anyone who falls in love or trying to find themselves or navigating something new in their life. So yeah. it really it's it's so beautiful in that way. It's a jukebox musical. Yes. Taking uh, someone's work 
and uh, using that work. It, it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's using one breadth or span of a person's stuff. But we now just have this term. I, I don't know. It just, it's weird to me. Um, and just something I thought I would bring up that I, I, it's hard for me to call this a jukebox musical other than I know that all of this music was on a top 40 billboard at some point in time <laughs> from one man. I feel like, yeah, all of this music, like maybe that, I don't know. I think, I do feel like it's a jukebox musical because when you think about a jukebox, you have different music and different artists and different things that at any given point, somebody pops in a quarter and you select a song, one song from one artist. And I feel like this musical did a, a really good job of like we had a lot of different artists we had Backstreet Boys we had Britney Spears we had Jesse J we had The Weeknd I mean like we've got a lot of different like genres and 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 times of music that is, are being covered in this right but uh, I feel like that's what leads it to be a jukebox musical because you're taking something and it, it goes right back into what we were talking about earlier taking something and, and putting a new skin on it and then you get the acclaim because you're using something that's already existed right that we we're using these songs to to help tell a story we're dealing with a story that is hundreds of years old that uh is now being told through this lens that is relatable and i think that truly for me is what makes it so palatable but i mean i feel like it's a jukebox musical because we jump around to different people and it's not just the same artist with the same music like it is it it gives itself some um, variety about the woman of the hour, Miss Juliet herself. Sure. I overall love her trajectory. I love the, like, if we look at it this from the top, I love what she's doing, how she's navigating all of this. Um, she's heartbroken at the start of this. Um, but then we get to see her sort of grow into something, but then old things creep back in. What do you, you being a female. Yes. How real do you think this is as far as her trajectory? I mean, it's wildly relatable and very kind of grounded in realism. Not to say that all women are like this, but I feel like it is a inherently feminine trait that when somebody wrongs you, right, you get cheated on, you get left, you get whatever. And you vow, no, nah, I'm going to do better. I'm going to live my life for myself and I don't need a man. And then that person finds a way back into your life and is trying to be different than what they were before. We are so ready to let our guard down because they've changed. It kind of feels like that happens with Juliet's storyline just a little bit. William Shakespeare brings Romeo back from the dead because he's like, I wanted to give you, he looks to Anne Hathaway going, I wanted to give you the happy ending that you wanted. Bringing Romeo back from the dead's not going to give the happy ending that it, just like a man to think, oh, well, I'll just fix it and then it will be fine. Sorry, that's casting aspersions on all of my male presenting people. I'm just saying that that's that so, I thought it was You're funny. not wrong. <laughs> 
I know. You're not wrong. It is the path of least resistance. This was the easy fix. This was the bouquet of roses yep. after the major f- yeah, let's be real. Let's be real. I mean, it is very relatable. We have larger hearts and we try really hard to like see the good in people. And we try to give second chances when we can. That was one of my main gripes was the fact that this whole song that they have, the two of them together, he's saying how I'm a different person. Like you made me want to be a better human. Just you know, not because people like me for how I looked. And I wrote down, I hate the fact that you are so ready to like take him back after he's professed his love and does the things. And then she immediately shuts him down and is like, I can't be in love with you. And I was like, and there's the redemption. At a girl. Okay. Let's let's get back to what we were actually doing. I love that moment too, but it's only because I think we're faced with that a lot. We we get it's like the little devil on your shoulder. It's that thing with like, but wouldn't it just be so easy to go back into what we were doing? Yeah, because it's oh my easier. Gosh, yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, of course, there are other other things about that trajectory, the adversity that comes with trying to write your own narrative. I mean, in the literal and the grander scheme, because you have all these people going, well, don't you need a man? Don't you need someone to take care of you? Don't you want someone to take care of you? That is still something that we face in a modern, through a modern lens. Like, you know, take any sort of, not really issue but like take any example like the phantom and i have decided that we're not having children the number of people who go are you sure are you sure you want to do that because you turn 40 and you're going to want to have kids and all of a sudden you're not going to be able to because your ovaries are dried up and it's like well first of all that's not real science secondly who gives a shit about what I want to do with my life? And even if it had nothing to do with the Phantom, if I make that choice, it's because I made it and it's right for me. And I also have the ability to change my mind if I've given new information. But right now, this is the choice that I'm making. And that is what Juliet does throughout the entirety of this show. She knows what she wants, or even if she doesn't know, she has a really good idea that this is what I want to do. And she sets up her boundaries pretty clearly. And then given new information, she's allowed to change. And so that was a really strong part of her storyline that I really enjoyed. It almost shows growth on her part. She did something. It was intense and big, almost to a breaking point, right? Like she was willing to die for this boy. And then she has the second chance. It's this rebirth moment, this redemption from death. Yep. Let's try something new and move on and use the information I've gathered. And that's just a life lesson. You know, mistakes are mistakes, but they can be also lessons. Mm-hmm. Of course, my my mother, God rest her soul, would have called it a very expensive life lesson. But I mean, sometimes you... <laughs> to say the least. I mean, but really though. You need some of those things in your life because you're not always going to have your parents. You're not always going to have that person that you look to for guidance or wisdom or what have you. And at the end of the day, you were only left with yourself. And sometimes you're going to make choices that are Bad, and you are going to do things that are probably not good for you. All we are doing is stumbling to the end. And I love that that is also a theme of this show is it's not about getting to the end. It's not about the ending itself. It is about the journey of us getting to that point and all of the bad things we have to go through, all the good things we get to go through. But at the end of the day, it is about going through it, not just getting it.
her taking control of her own life because a lot of times even in a modern day are do you feel like you can still take control of your life because way back when it was way less for Juliet would do, do you think in comparison, it's like apples and oranges, of course, but this being a show <laughs> and this being such a forward plot point, what do you think about this as a major theme in this show? It's really brave of this show to to kind of address it in the way that it is doing it. Because like I said, it's, this is something that we still, you know, fight with even to this day as a, you know, a, a bisexual white woman in the United States, there are certain things that I am able to do. No problem. I can open my own bank account. I can get my own car. I can open a credit card. I can, I can do all of these things by myself, but then we still have things that require your spouse's uh, permission to do. And like, I get acknowledgement and consent. Those, I mean, sometimes those things are, uh, you know, needed. If I want to have a hysterectomy, if I want to have one, not because I have to, but if I want to have one, I need my spouse's permission to make a medical choice for my own self. If, if the woman says, I don't want to do this, she still needs her partner's validation and consent to do so but if the phantom wanted to get a vasectomy they're not going to ask me about that and they're not going to go well are you need to consent and you need to let him do that unfortunately while we have still made so many strides in equality when it comes to equality for the races equality for the genders we are still so behind when it comes to very specific things so I I love that this story shows that she can still do certain things being a young female, but as soon as her parents become involved, they're like, well, you're going off to a nunnery, figure it out, or you're going to get married, like figure it out. And it's it feels like there there is such a black and white when it comes to that that has carried over to the modern day. And I'm here to tell you it kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I well, and I think that's why maybe this is resonating so well because black and white, you have this choice or this choice, is something that has been so rooted in our thought process, in our pattern. Like oh, we totally. go, okay, I have to get married, or I have to, you know, create this life that is expected of me. And I think where this is beautiful is it's showing you can write your own story you can dig your own path and that's what we're seeing in our main character and especially for young women you don't have to be pining over the boy the boy does not complete you you do not need this a relationship period does not define you you can do your own thing and wherever you are whatever you're at that's fine absolutely Absolutely. And the, I mean, truly, like this makes me think a lot of um, uh, fun home and the idea of the Bechdel test, right? Are we able to create a life that does not involve being, uh, you know, focused on a man? And uh, not that I am a man hater by any means. And I do not, I am not trying to bash men. I hold men very dear to my heart. I have a lot of great men in my life. And I would, I would never, ever want to man hate on them ever. I hate men. Okay. Well, you can. I mean, that's fine if you I want know. to. As, as a gay man, I wish I hated men more. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Here we are. But here we are. It is so wonderful to see 
a not only in this what we saw, but a, a beautiful person of color being Juliet. Oh my God, she slayed! But like to have such a diversity in your casting and to really not, it didn't really feel like there was misogyny with this show, but I mean, in the roots, like in the, the subject, like source material, so much misogyny, but that was the time. That was the era that they all lived in and, you know, the patriarchy ruled everything. So I, I feel like I've gone on a tangent a little bit, but I mean, I think that it's, it's nice to see something that isn't just surrounded. Do I need to love a man? Do I need to please a man? Do I need to live for a man? No. And not only if it's not a man, you don't need to live for anybody else other than yourself. You don't need to live for your parents. You don't need to live for your friends, your coworkers, anybody. You are living for yourself because at the end of your life, you don't want to be on your deathbed going, man, I wish I lived for myself more. What was the point of that? Like you wasted your whole life. So don't do that. I am my own Bechtel test always in my <laughs> relationships. I, I pretty much start off in the first couple conversations. I'm like, so I'm pretty independent and I kind of do my own thing. And you kind of have to have your own thing and be your own independent person. Otherwise, this is never going to work. <laughs> but at least you offer that that transparency up front. And it's not something you oh, yeah. learn about later. Like, I'm like, I do theater. I'm going to be gone every evening. Yep. You need do you, boo. <laughs> so, <laughs> confident in your own thing no. because this is my passion. This is what I choose to do and nobody's going to change that for me. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> there might have been a time when I would give myself away. Oh, once upon a time I didn't give a damn. But now here we are. So what do you what do you want from me? What happened to no regrets? Complete 180. Uh, we're going to talk about Anne and her <gasps> pining for Mr. Will and what she really wants out of all of this. Neat. I love a good 180 pivot. That's delightful. <laughs> That's a kickball change and a turn and a whole thing. Kickball change. Da, da, da. <laughs> it's true. We are pivot stepping over here. Now, Fabulous. Uh, she wants a story written for her mm -hmm. by her husband. Mm-hmm. That is what this is all about. This is her little defiant breakdown moment she's having <laughs> with her husband. And I love it. I am so here for it. Because nothing else has worked up until this point. So she's like, hmm, here we go. Here we go. You're not going to pay attention to me? Fuck it. I will make you pay attention to me. <laughs> so like, let's talk about this dynamic. Our, overall, I think it's a pretty realistic ask. Yeah. Maybe oh, yeah. I have this super famous husband who leaves me their second best mattress <laughs> and, you know, is churning out all of these amazing pieces of art mm -hmm. and none of them are at all uh, dealing with the love that he feels for his family. It's actually about sort of like bad relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to take that personally. You know, I probably would, too. <laughs> 
I love the line in the show where he's like, I'm doing a very romantic show right now. It's called Macbeth. <gasps> the fact that he said the name of the Scottish play in a theater made me freak out. I was like, <gasps> no, no. I think there's a rule where in performance it's fine, I, but you can't just say it. I know, but it still <laughs> made my theater skin want to crawl off my body. It's so true. It's so true. I think her worries are rooted in, <laughs> yes. in reality. Oh, yes. Do we enjoy the tactics she's using of taking over? Oh, I mean, yeah, because it's exactly what I would do. If it were me, and I, I mean, but that is also me as a person. That's my personality. If something's not working, I will just do it myself because clearly I'm the one that can do it best. Trust. <laughs> it's just, it is a beautiful juxtaposition to the time period that we're in. Because again, Anne makes mention that, you know, she says this thing so beautifully. But in art as in life, I have no real say in what happens. You're, you're in love with your work and I am just your second best bed. To know that you have such little control and still try to go for it anyway, that's really what I admire most about Anne as a character because she knows what she's up against and she goes, F it, we're gonna try it anyway. It's beautiful. It's, it's just perfect. The icing on the cake for me is we see Shakespeare earlier do all of these famous quotes that he has and then is quoting himself on uh. to her. Then later she does it to him, which is funny mm -hmm. when uh, he's trying to like, right at the end of the show, he's like, no, 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 I let's write this together and da, da, da. It's all good. I want to give you the happy ending you wanted. And she says, words, 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 which is a Shakespeare quote. Sure and is. I, I, I believe it is Hamlet talking to... Oh, what's his name? Polonius. Yes. And Polonius enters the room and says something like, what are you, what are you reading? Ultimately, his reply is words, words, words. Mm -hmm. And in this context, it's like drivel. They're meaningless. Yep. And using it in this context right then against him is perfect. Literally and I could gorgeous. not. I was like, oh. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> You, like, every other time you've wanted to have a good comeback, you haven't had one, and you've thought about it later on, and then there's the one golden moment where you've got the comeback that literally is just the great burn to end all burns. That's what I feel like that was, and it's like... And, and that also oh, yeah. shows that she's paying attention. It's not just her, like, with a famous husband or whatever. She knows his work, and she's going to quote it back to him to go, hmm, yeah. you think that I just take care of your children? No, I actually pay attention, and I know what's going on. And it's this lovely double entendre of this is what I'm saying to you. Your words are meaningless. It's your actions that count. So you mm -hmm. have to suck up and sack up. Like, that's the whole thing. Let's go. Yeah. Um, but then I guess on, like, the opposite side of the spectrum, like, let's talk about Shakespeare and, like, the pressure that he's feeling, maybe. Because sure. this is my devil's advocate moment for this this man that you know through history we always find flaws in sure once you get to a level of fame things are then expected of you right there's an entire theater built for you from queen elizabeth mm -hmm. but really though this theater is built so you can put on work yep. work that the public love work that royalty themselves are <laughs> like <laughs> putting their faith into you because they're like things suck right now 
you're kind of the thing that's getting us all through the day. Mm-hmm. Please produce work. So he's having to. He has these pressures. Like, that's real historical fact. Mm-hmm. And so putting this sort of pressure onto him in this real context, in this fake version of events is interesting to me and how this plays out with Anne's wants is what is interesting. And like, of course he has his own dreams and he, but he's having to deal with this fame. Now the thing we're not talking about is like his ego is getting in the way of all of it. Oh my God. Yes. There are moments, there are moments which are beautiful between the two of them. And it's very like, he feels things and he, I mean, I don't know, like he really does have a good connection moment, but then sometimes he'll open his mouth and say absolute trash. And I go, sir, have you been in the same room as the rest of us for the last 20 minutes? No? Okay. You're just too busy stroking your own literal ego because you're like, oh, look at how smart I am. Like, shut up, William. (laughs) Nobody cares about how smart you are, my dude. We do nowadays. I care about the wordsmithing that he was Mm. able to create and do. Yeah. Iambic pentameter. Oh my God. Can I tell you that's the worst? Literally having to perform Shakespeare is the hardest thing to do because of iambic pentameter. I don't know. It almost helps me memorize better because Does it there is really? this ri- Yeah, because there's this rhythm to it. Oh. Yeah. It's like it's like memorizing a song. You can do it better because it sure. of all the stuff. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, but if I memorize an iambic, I can do it. <laughs> So I can quote the opening soliloquy and you can do things in iambic pentameter. Fine. Great. We each have a flex now. Good. (laughs) So don't surrender Cause you can win In this thing called love When you want it the most There's no easy way when you're ready to go and your heart's left in love, don't give up on your faith. Love comes to those who believe it, and that's the way it is. Speaking of shitty f- white guys, it's like Romeo. Oh. The whole, he comes in completely clueless as like the mediocre white guy entering the room and thinking he's the hot shit. Uh-huh. But here's the thing. There is a moment where I, like as a guy, like as maybe a shitty f- white guy myself. What? I, no. I walk in and go, both of you are a little culpable in all of this. You were both really f- swept away i mean yeah in this moment and then for juliet to suddenly denounce all the things that happened up until that point in those three days um <laughs> i just i just sort of go yo you just kind of need to sit down and have an actual conversation because this is clearly uh, not he's saying like i forgive you and she's like whoa, whoa for, for what? what i think he's feeling double crossed because they didn't follow through <laughs> I, I like I do in that moment. I, that's how I would have to play it. And that's yeah. how I'm like, I'm a little double crossed. Why didn't you actually follow through? And only through the magic of Shakespeare's writing is he now back amongst the living from death. Yeah, I um see. Here's where I will play a devil's advocate on the side of being a female. Why is it that we are that it is assumed that we would do anything that our counterpart would do? 
So we right. would do for them, you know, they kill themselves and, oh my God, I can't be without them. So I must do in kind. Like it, I understand that like the whole idea is that they were so in love that they literally could not be without one another, which mm-hmm. is, I don't know, hashtag codependency. That's the notion and the right yeah. codependency. Yeah. Hashtag, mm, how about no? But so, it's also what makes it such the like love story f- to span hundreds of years correct right? the power yeah. of their love yeah. yes we use that as like the the mile marker or the 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 barometer for measuring how much you love another person and so while i understand that romeo feels a little like slighted because you know they made this um or not the, i don't they did not make the pact that they would die together, but that he was like, I loved you so much that I saw you dead and knew I couldn't be without you. So why didn't you do the same? Like you said, they need to have a conversation. That is not yeah. just like us assuming that those two things are synonymous because they're not. Correct. Like we are obviously on Juliet's side in all of this. And right. like, yes, we are automatically like, yo, this douche just ascended from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we get this in, in the whole context of this show. That's amazing. I'm sorry. But, but do we not think that there's something, this is what I'll say. And this is my last devil's advocate for this douchey white guy who just has a tight bod and doesn't know how to deal with his feelings. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> As a type on, doesn't know what he's feeling. The fact that he looks like a Jersey f- boy also makes my heart kind of... Honestly. Oh, my God. Honestly. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, ouch. Well, sorry, I'm here for you now. Sorry. No, no, no. But does it not say anything to you as a girl... Would you not want this? Sorry, that's like super blanket statement. So I don't <laughs> want to put that on anyone. As anyone to anyone, wouldn't you at least feel something that he came back for you and is now like only after you? Because Juliet's issue is that Romeo had a life before her and had partners before her and mm-hmm. had huge major trysts before her. This might be a gay world thing, but we just accept that everyone was a slut before we met the person that we love. <laughs> There's an immaturity that happens when you can't get over that. And so my issue is having my life experiences that I then put on to Juliet. I go, yeah, everyone has a past. Why can't you get over that? He's clearly back for you and only you now. He wants you so bad. He came back from the dead. Like, (laughs) you know. Well, I mean, while I appreciate that and I I would be moved by the fact that if the Phantom died before me and then came back from the dead because he knew he couldn't live without me and our love is what resurrected him, I think I would have to, it would depend on where I was in my life. Did it happen days after he died or did it happen years after he died? Because at a certain point, you as a person have to protect yourself from the the crippling weight of grief and the only 
only way to do that is to set up your walls and protect your heart and move on. So I think that, you know, because it happened, what we assume it has happened recently, I think that's why it's easier for her to kind of cope with it because she's, she's going through a stage of grief that is like, I am just trying to distract myself with everything that I can possibly do because I don't want to think about this. And she even goes on to say that in the show. She's like, I don't want to talk about this because it's a lot and I just don't really think that I should do that. But if it had happened years after the fact, if she had moved on and found another partner or hadn't found a partner but was okay with herself, I think that would absolutely be a different story than what it is right now because it's so recent after it happened. But would I be willing to take this person back into my life? If you do that and you take them back in and then something happens and you lose them again, you now have to go over that cycle all over again, which I mean, yes, you would do with any other person because that's the risk that you run allowing people into your life is the possibility that they will leave and that you will have to grieve them. I would be moved, but I don't know anything beyond that. (laughs) I mean, clearly the relationship is like one red flag after the other. It is legitimately like countdown to destruction has begun. Like it's just, (laughs) we know that this probably wasn't going to last, but there, but then we're losing the romanticism of, you know, two opposing forces finding love. Like we're losing that. We're losing that romanticism. But I mean, I just wanted to bring it up. I just wanted to, you know, you know me, I love a good alternative facing vantage. So, well, and that's what I appreciate about you is the fact that like we could sit and have a similar conversation if we were both, you know, looking on the same side of the fence, but like, that's not the point of our show. The point of our show is for you or me to offer a different perspective. That's like, no, I'm going to challenge you a little bit because like, here is what I believe, or here is something that is different. And I want to see how you approach that. Mr. Francois. Frank Hay. Frank A little quick, a little, very quickly. Oh, so, Frank Hay, hey ho. They have their own trials. So, May, as we said, is the best friend of Juliet mm-hmm. and along for the ride in all of this. The Mercutio, Benvolio, whatever Italian name, insert here. Uh, <laughs> insert Italian name here. So, much like Romeo is at his besties, Juliet mm-hmm. gets hers. Mm-hmm. April and. Uh, <laughs> May. May and July yet. <laughs> July yet. I just love, we have this sort of secondary love trial sort of going on mm-hmm. and it integrates into Juliet's main plot line, right? Because the father of Frankie wants him to get married, mm-hmm. but Frankie mm-hmm. is unable to find the girl mm-hmm. that he wants. Mm-hmm. So 
he then suddenly just finds someone whom he <laughs> likes. What I find interesting about this particular like storyline is that you know we Frankie and May run into each other quite literally at the party, and Frankie like fixes May's crown that she's wearing that they're wearing. Sorry, wrong pronouns, and that um, then it's just kind of a two ships passing in the night kind of thing. Frankie starts like finds Juliet. They start kind of having a moment. They're connected about you know he's playing the piano and and you know they're having this moment of you can take control of your own destiny and all that stuff and then later on after Frankie and May have shared this kiss together and May is kind of like hi you know what do you want like why why are you being so wishy-washy about stuff May has a confrontation with Juliet about it and May is like well I guess if we're keeping score I'm the one who saw him first oh that just hit every single heartstring because how many girls have had that conversation with their best Ooh. Friend. So how many guys have had that conversation oh, with their best friend? Oh my God. I'm it, just like relatable. So relatable. So relatable. I, I have two points with this that oh. I just, I love. Oh my God. Tell me. I love that Frankie and May have essentially taken over the star-crossed lover sitch yes. and are the Romeo and Juliet of this actual version Absolutely. of and, and Juliet-ness. Absolutely. While Romeo and Juliet were star-crossed lovers, I mean, we learned that Romeo was essentially just a comet passing by every star on the planet um <laughs> depositing stardust in every single person <laughs> both men and women oh yeah so that's he, cute he cared not <laughs> but soft foot light through yonder hole breaks um the <laughs> <laughs> it is my penis and <laughs> <laughs> Tis the yeast and <laughs> Juliet's vagina. So, uh, <laughs> gross. No. <laughs> what? We can talk about labias and not yeast nope. infections? Okay. Nope. Neat. Can't. That's too far. <laughs> <laughs> There's the line. I found There's it. There's a line. I found it. But I love this whole idea that they have now taken over in this super modern love story yes. in a way. And I love how again, just sort of accepting Frankie is in all of this. Because, like, it's beautiful to see that, that you love the person. It's not, you know, again, sort of in Juliet's way, it's not about what's expected of you or what you're being told. It's, mm -hmm. this is what I want to do. This is whom I love. Yep. The second part, I love the payoff of the song It's Gonna Be May. Oh my God. They were so careful because uh, Max, this producer, there's this whole famous story about this song where he told Justin Timberlake, no, 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 don't sing me, sing May. And he was like, okay, whatever, like, I'll do it. So the, the nuance of it all, like knowing that. Mm -hmm. And then we get Adam Lambert's song, What Do You Want From Me? What do you he want He did the same me? thing. Mm -hmm. What do you want from me? But when they sang it in the show, they were so careful. What do you want from me? Yep. The whole time. Yep. And they're, oh, the whole time, very hard ease. And then it's gonna, it's be, gonna be May. It was so Perfect. I, I literally, like, oh. I screamed. <laughs> it was so Don't care good. what is written in our history. As long as you're here with me. I don't care who you are. Where you're from. What you did. As long as you love me. Who you are. Where you're from. Don't care what you did 
as long as you love me. Beyond that, their love story is hard because we get to see them sort of struggle and we get to see two ideas and two personalities coming in hot and heavy together and they have to quickly figure out, what do you want from me? Mm -hmm. Who are we? Are we going to be together? You're kind of with my best friend. What are you doing? Yep. But really, though, mm-hmm. it's this do or die moment for both of them. And I know you have some ideas or things that you do or do not like with this particular setup. The biggest thing that I don't necessarily like is the fact that, like, May and Frankie only truly feel like they can have their relationship out of adversity. And like, again, I know that it's hard to like, to write something that is new, but it always feels to me like the queer love story only ever happens because they overcame adversity. It's not because they just wanted to be together and it's not because of anything else, but it is May caught feelings, saw Frankie was going with Juliet, and then they kissed, and then Frankie didn't tell anybody, and then only through, you know, this thing at the wedding that, you know, they literally at the altar, they're like, well, I think I have a couple of reasons why we should not be wed. that's one of my kind of big gripes is just the fact that like it always feels like the queer love story has to come from adversity and I'm like but why why do we have to have adversity can't we just do the thing but also Romeo and Juliet the story of that is nothing but adversity so I get it I'm just saying that that is a very tiny nitpick and if I'm looking for something to nitpick it's gonna be that okay here's the thing I want to talk about Angelique but she deserves her own like podcast oh my god i would just she's so good i would die for that woman yeah and then like her integration with knowing the frankie's father is so much better Mm -hmm. it's just that whole thing about her giving up her life and all of that but in a way it's almost like a cute little baton pass that she's doing to juliet because she's now letting her live her life and learning from Angelique's mistakes Mm -hmm. and sort of passing this on. But we kind of have a second baton pass issue in this show. Mm -hmm. And it is this quill. Oh, the hashtag, the quill break. Oh, if you hold the quill, you're the one writing the story. And this is what Anne and will totally uh, Lord of the flies conch shell situation. Oh, absolutely. What do we think? Do we like this uh, abstractness? Is it too literal? Um, I mean, I think for this particular show, I kind of liked the fact that it is, you know, quite literally taking the pen in your hand to create your story. Because like, you know, with Shakespeare being the type of person that used metaphor a lot, I think that it is a great storytelling device because like we, you know, we're dealing with, you know, the written word is just, is so powerful. The only way we can document things is by writing it down. So I find it wildly fascinating that the rest of Juliet's story only happens because the quill is broken and neither Anne or William can write down what will happen to her. So it's, 
it, like, this is stupid, but there is a, a, a phrase that when I worked at the, uh, I've worked in finance for years of my life, and there is a phrase that our compliance team would always use that if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. And I find that wildly, just like it, it kept ringing in my brain during the show, because it's like, yeah, it may not have been in writing, but this is what we would have hoped would have happened for her. I think the quill is such a beautiful kind of strong moment for Anne when she's able to break it and hand it back to him and go, you know what? Fine. You don't, you don't want me to be a part of your world. You don't want to help me with this thing. Fine. Then neither of us can do that. And it's so beautifully petty. It just made my heart sing. Is <laughs> <laughs> that say something about me? Probably, but yeah, but <laughs> we love petty. We, we love petty. We support petty in this house. <laughs> to quote Sharpay, she loves pie. Did that actually answer your question? I kind of felt like I went off on a, on a soliloquy there for a minute. No, it was good. It was fine. Oh, good, okay. Well, this would be the show to soliloquy. Strong and weak points of this show. The strong point for me is the clarity by which the story maintains its theme. And I love the, we start with Juliet being in charge of her own story and that's exactly how we end it. And we have wonderful milestones along the way that reinforce that this is your kind of main overarching theme. It's in beautiful juxtaposition to Carrie where my thought of Carrie is it couldn't pick a lane. It didn't know what it wanted. It didn't know what the emotional underpinnings of that story were. This kind of gives, I think, more emotional maturity and depth to a story that has been around for hundreds of years. And I think that that is what's beautifully strong about it is its dedication to that. And it doesn't really waver from that from start to finish. Uh, a weak point of this show... If I'm being really technical and very nitpicky, it was really hard for me to find one. There is a very specific moment where May is in the bathroom at the party, at Francois's party, and mm -hmm. has now had this interaction with a bathroom steward that says, yes, there are toilets for the men and toilets for the women, and here is where you're going to go. And May has this scene with Juliet about... I'm struggling with the binariness of restrooms and language, and I just don't know where I fit in. And so then she goes into saying, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. And I go, okay, so we're, we've, we've established that maybe May leans more towards female presenting than other things, but we still treat them as a non-binary character. Then later on, when uh, they have this scene with Frankie and they kiss, the song that they chose is I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. We established it earlier that it's I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, and then we use I Kissed a Girl. But I didn't like the fact that if we, are, if we establish that they are a non-binary character, why did we choose a song, I Kissed a Girl, giving them a gender, you know? So. Yeah. 100, 100. And I think it's, again, I think it's about the shoehorning yeah. these songs to make them fit because it's about the intention of the song then at that point, not necessarily the words that they're saying. Right. And while it worked so many times and like it added the humor, like you could hear 
the laughter start up before some songs once the like downbeat started playing Mm because people suddenly got the joke of why that song was going to be being played they're like oh that's funny that they're inserting this right now but yeah when you're you're trying to put them into these really hard moments yeah it's shoehorning the language that we used to have for a modern day and i think that's where the weak point is i i agree fully yeah i feel like it's just something you won't be able to get around which is why i said it was such a nitpicky point that I can take it, but you're wrong, cause I'm stronger than yesterday, now it's nothing but my way, my loneliness ain't killing me, no more, no more, I, what, what about you? What are your strong and weak points for this particular show? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with weak point. Even one more month of just sort of nuancing that script a little bit and really honing in on the the verbiage and mm-hmm. how these lines and story was strung together. I think that would have helped it. Not that I want to take away from, like, again, when the audience is in on the joke, it's perfect. And I, I give it that leniency, sure. that grace, because I... I kind of love that when you hear the downbeat of the song, I want to start laughing Mm -hmm. because of course you would sing this right now. Mm -hmm. And there is a smartness to that. And while I think most of it was intentional, I don't think all of it was. So I think that's why. So, I mean, that's that same boat as you. I I don't think there's a way to fix it. I think it just is what it is. And we're shoehorning things in because it was part of Max's repertoire of, you know, things he produced. So we have the things. Strong point for me is it's, it's in the marketing of the show where they say it's flipped on its head it's what i love to do we have it integrated into our show to some context when we do our what if segment in our show notes episodes this is a what if this is a complete what if musical and it brings in a whole new idea on characters we know and love and people we're familiar with it's going to now reach a younger demographic this is like the perfect millennial gen z stew like it's everything we've ever wanted it is the music that i'm i can't get enough of and it is the stories that we are going trying to put forth into the world and the future that we see and hopefully will one day have so i think it i love the strength that it inspires how things should be and by flipping this binary tale on its head to something greater that's beautiful Stephen. i love that now let me show you the shape of my with my confession Got nothing to hide no more I don't know where to start But to show you the shape of my heart Favorite songs in this show Oh, that's so hard. Impossible. Literally. I I almost, I veto this question. Ah! (laughs) Upper echelons would most definitely be... Um, I loved Blow because that whole scene oh, of so them good. in the in the party was great. I um, remember us rocking out to that song in the car ride. Oh my God. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's go. Yeah. 
I also really loved Overprotected. Um, just the the moment between Juliet and Francois was adorable. And so, that of course, I love, I mean, I love that Britney Spears song. And that's, I mean, was an anthem for me for years. I definitely would do um, Shape of My Heart. Because, like, I love, uh. the, I mean, just that song in particular is, is wonderful. It brings back a lot of good memories for me. But I think, too, that moment of a parent going, I was just trying to, I mean, I can't make up for what I have done. Let me just try to be better and let me show you what I can be. It was just such a pretty moment. The ability to flip that song from like a love song of like two two people in love to a parent's love for their child yeah. was phenomenal. Standouts for me. I mean, of course, Larger Than Life is the song that starts this show and well, it sets the tone for what we're about to like be involved in <laughs> domino was like this perfect oh. moment of juliet being like you know what i can do me i can live this life it's and here we so go good it's so oh so good but then i also have to give a shout out to that's the way it is <gasps> that Anne oh. sang. Oh. such oh, a I good just, one Anne, Anne is definitely a like standout role for me in this entire thing because not only do we see that in Juliet's story, we see it in Anne's. We mm -hmm. see Anne get to start choosing herself too. It's, it's this beautiful thing where she then inserts herself into the story and is giving Juliet that not only Angelique gets to. So I, really Juliet has no excuse to fail in this show. Uh, she's getting <laughs> so much help from everyone. <laughs> the humor in every song. Like the moment Oops I Did It Again shows up, I died i oh, was rolling on the floor seriously though here i know i'm proposing this is great just like <laughs> i think i did it again oh, oh my god like end of um love me like you do where romeo's down on his knees and expecting juliet to come running in and what are you waiting for <laughs> my silly Mistreated, misplaced, misunderstood, miss. No way, it's so good. It didn't slow me down. Mistaken, always second guessing, underestimated. Look, I'm still around. Pretty, pretty, please, don't you ever, ever feel that you're What would you cut? I, I, the problem is because it's a jukebox musical. If you take something out, every song is there because they had to retrofit it in. Oh so my God, I don't that's know so if there's hard. anything that can be cut. Yeah, I don't. Nothing can because it would take away from someone's plot line or someone's story. Yeah, and we have four plot lines that we have to follow, so we can't do that. But truly, a lot of times when we look at this, we we look at songs that we can cut because oh, this is filling time or this is like giving somebody a quick change or it's doing whatever. All of the songs are integrated so well that the truly there isn't a lot of dialogue in this show. If you were to try to cut something like that, like you would cut time from the show unless you replaced it with something else. I agree with you. I don't think there's anything that legitimately could be cut without compromising story. Hey, I'm not done. Lights out.
time. Uh, Mary, I need you to follow me down <gasps> to this uh, little crypt. Um, there's going to be a big table in the middle, okay? Okay. Um, what I'm going to need you to do is just drink this. And, oh. um, but, but meanwhile, I'm just going to be, uh, we're going to have a little conversation, okay? While, while oh. you... Well, you drink this, okay? Sure. Um, yeah, it, Stephen, this smells funny, and this this room's really too dark. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's my favorite pause. You'll see. Almost all knows how to There's a big table, meaning it's a mausoleum. Like, like this, this is your grave. This is your deathbed. <laughs> Nice big rock slab for you. So oh, yeah. Open your script on this big rock slab. It's questions for table read time. Let's go. Uh, yeah, our Bechdelian tests we put every show through. Woo-hoo. So, women. Does this pass the test of women? Yes. I think so. Now, here's where I'm given some negatives here. Oh, do it. Everyone's plot line is about getting the person. But right. The, so it really doesn't pass a Bechdel test. The issue is Juliet's main focus is she just wants to live her own life and do her own thing. Mm-hmm. So we give points for that. But at the end of the day, because we're still only talking about getting the love of some other guy or mm-hmm. getting the love or not being loved enough by some guy is kind of the issue here. Yeah. Other than that, it's super empowering oh, yeah. regardless of a lot of time spent in dialogue, <laughs> pining for other people. <laughs> so do I think there are great roles for women in the show? Yes. Absolutely. So I, I'm I'm happy with all of that. Yeah. How about race? I mean, I think this show does an excellent job of that. We Ugh. have so many different people of color and, and like different, eth- we have ethnicities, we have different backgrounds. We have, I mean, just, I whoa, ridiculous. Yeah. This is one of those shows, it, cast for talent, not for the color of your skin. Absolutely. It is so open. And I'm just going to roll representation right into that. Yeah. Everything seems so freaking open yeah. in all of this. Oh, totally. It, it's just like, I mean, plus we have May, of course, which is yeah. like the legit. But then we have Frankie, who's super accepting. We then have allyship that we get to see with Juliet. Mm-hmm. And then even freaking Romeo, who was having guy side pieces on the side. Yeah. So I'm just saying, it's all about love yeah. and doing what feels right so (laughs) Uh, uh. does this story hold up without the music i mean so if we are talking the original of course it does but i i like this question because if i were to watch and juliet without the music i don't know if i would like it as much i don't know it would feel super or is it just the Barbie movie? Ooh, why you gotta go be doing that, Steven? Well, am I wrong? No, I didn't say you were wrong. I'm just <laughs> going, and Steven. I don't know. I, no, I still, I'm gonna stay in the camp that I don't know if I would like it as much if it didn't have the music in it. I mean, I'd watch it. Yeah. Do I, would I like it? To be determined. I don't know. TBD. <laughs> Weird question. Can this change in era, time, and decade? I mean, sure. I mean, we added modern things to a story that was written in the 1500s, so... A lot of times we end up, especially with queer representation, we say, well, it has to be stuck in this time because this is weirdly not about that. No. Maybe in May's story a little bit, but I think a lot of that is just self-realization, self-expression, exploration of oneself and being stuck Mm -hmm. in not 
knowing what or how to decide. Now, the bigotry in there might die one day, so that might be aged. I think this is weirdly timeless, except for a few little nuances, and yeah. I think it could be fixed yeah. if need be. Totally. Amateur or professional, scale 1 to 10, where do we feel and Juliet lives? Now, of course, we saw, you know, professional, but mm -hmm. were we to put this on in a regional, high school, a more slightly less professional space, where are we at with this? I am I think I'm going to give this like a 6, truly. 6? Okay. I think, I think so, because like, I mean, the, the music, I mean, obviously it's all music that... Well, okay, it's music that our generation knows. If you tried to do this with the younger generations, they're really not going to know those tunes, which just makes my heart very sad. It died I just... don't know. 90s and early 2000s are back in. I, I mean, hope so. God help me. I mean, the fact I'm seeing cargo pants that weren't a good idea then and they're still not, not a good, good idea now. Nope. I'm just saying. We're not here for it. Um, but I would Let me be your Angelique and learn from my mistakes. <laughs> Let's go six seems like it's an appropriate rating just because like the music itself is pretty difficult and there are some harmonies that you got to make sure that you hit costume wise you'd be able to probably find things that were you know i mean obviously shakespearean things are easy to find you could modify them to obviously make them like what it is um your technical prowess might need a little bit of boosting like a lot of lights and a lot of like um i mean obviously not regional theaters are not going to have moving stages and some of them do the technical prowess might be a little bit taxing but um I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility to have a regional theater do this show. I'm going to agree with you, actually. I'm, I'm putting this at a six. <gasps> Woo! I, yeah, I'm... Uh... This one would be a little harder. I think vocal range is going to be your issue with this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because, uh, guys, it's... Why is it every male theater part, you have to be a bloodletting tenor? The blood spittoon <laughs> for the tenor. Christ, Christine! <laughs> Just Christ, Chris! Yeah, there we go. Hashtag blood spittoon. <laughs> oh, bringing that back. Yes, uh, let's go. Oh, you almost went flat, my dude. You were right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I could feel that. I felt that strain. Yeah, buddy. Um, but you're like, good on you. You you held it. You, you held it you out, man. It. Good job. Good support. <laughs> good breath support. Nice work. <laughs> Music to me is going to be the hard one in this. Now, I think this also could go so wrong. Oh, absolutely. Staging. Staging alone. You have to know exactly what it is. You have to understand the meta-ness. You have to understand the jokes that are being done. And that's why I'm reticent for this next question. So we'll roll into it. 50 years from now, will it still be being staged? I don't want it to be being staged because <gasps> really? this is so specific to right now. In 50 years, when these pop songs go away, the humor, like I said, like the audience starting to laugh before Whoa. the funny line, like that's going to go away. They're not going to know. They're not going to care. Sure. And I don't, mm -mm, I want a different iteration of whatever and Juliet is going to be. So 50 years from now, is this still going to be being staged? Maybe. I don't want it to be. Here's a question then. Would it, if the iteration of Anne Juliet in 50 years used music that was applicable in 50 years, like as things are yes. changing, would you watch Full it on, yes. that you would watch it yes. then? But if you not... adapted all of the songs, okay, like if you but took not the right base now. script and were able to integrate the new song that took over for the other song. Sure. Yes. I think this as like the foundation. Yes. 
I I agree with you in that I in 50 years uh, I mean first of all it's going to be very sad to say that in 50 years all of the music that's in there will be considered classic music. Mm-hmm. I makes me want to peel the nope. skin off like my I body. Said, this is what's going to be being played while we're eating our applesauce. That's all I'm saying. Yes, when we forget each other and you're just the nice man that comes to visit me sometimes. I agree with you in that in 50 years if this was the same iteration of this show, it's not it's not going to make sense because like most of the people who will watch it won't know the musical context of the show and they won't appreciate the musical context. If you took it and you adapted it to what is applicable in 50 years, then absolutely keep showing this damn show for as many people as they want to see it. In this current version, no. And the question of all questions, Uh, would you show Anne Juliet to aliens? Yes. I so would. Yeah. Hell yeah, I would. I think this is current. I think this is modern. I think it shows a little bit about history, about growth. And I don't think there's a risk that they'd kill our species over this musical for once. (laughs) (laughs) A woman empowered trying to like live her own life. I feel like aliens would be very receptive to that. They'd be like, how is that not already a thing? And then go kill every shit white guy. (gasps) This place about to blow. Uh, 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 I want you to know that deep down inside of me Sorry, why is it Juliet and Romeo and not Romeo and Juliet? Oh, isn't it obvious? Cause I want it that way. Final thoughts on Anne Juliet. Oh, babe, the most beautiful end to a season. A great, a great reminder that you can always reimagine yourself at any given point in your life. And just because you've done something before doesn't mean you have to keep doing it the same way. And it was an excellent reminder that I am in charge of the narrative of my life. And at any point I can take the pen and I can either snap the quill or I can take it to write new things. Everybody needs that reminder every now and again that we sometimes think that we are just victims of circumstance and things are happening to us. And there are a lot of times where things do happen to you, but it's always about how you react that is within your power to change. This was the most beautiful way to spend two hours of my life. Just unbelievably happy that we discovered this together and now we get to share it and talk about it in a way that we didn't know we could have two years ago. And 
I'm I'm going to try not to be in my feelings right now, but I continue to be amazed and inspired by what we do. And this show reminded me why it's important to be able to tell your own story. When this show like ended and I realized like, oh, okay, like what am I feeling? Because I, I always try to do that f- so I can sort of prep for this question in this, this show. Mm-hmm. Well, the weird thing is I was feeling like sometimes it's about who you surround yourself with mm-hmm. and it's those cheerleaders in your life or the people you choose to become a part of your life that are the biggest influence. Juliet would not have been able to do this if it weren't for her friends and her nurse and her family's a part of her life, but they were just a part of the story of her life they ultimately allowed her to make the decisions that she did become the strong person. Mm -hmm. And so uh, overall, what I just get out of this is the phrase of it takes a village, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that ever goes away from childhood. And that's what I get out of this is it can be about love, but it doesn't always have to be. It can be about loving yourself. Uh, Because you can't, you can't love other people and you can't truly love, I mean, anything if you don't love yourself first. And that's the hardest lesson I think that people have to learn. Oh my God. I think I'm actually crying. (laughs) (laughs) Crying. I count. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's just, it's just a really hard lesson to learn because as somebody who hasn't really loved herself a lot, it's just, it gets really difficult to try to live your life if you don't know how to love yourself. And I'm 34 years old and I'm just now learning that it's okay to love yourself and that you really need to in order to actually like be, be a person. And anyway, get me out of my feelings, please. Will you please? Oh, I, nope. <laughs> I will let you sit there forever, girl. I will. Just like May and Juliet, you just collect yourself and come out when you're ready. I will. Thank you. That's just... Oh, man. Well, I mean, for a season about death, I haven't really cried a whole lot, so it's probably fitting that I cry at the end of it, so... Hilarious. I'm like the one that is like the least sad. I know! (laughs) What the hell? Okay, anyway. This is the end. This is the end of our season. What... I mean, what do we do now? It's the end of a... You know, like at the end of a show, you just don't know what to do. So what do we do? So I kind of have a surprise. (gasps) A surprise? What? Oh, God. Am I going to cry again? Don't do that. You, might. you actually might. No, Stephen. No. Okay. We are absolutely done with our season about death. We are firmly now moving on. We aren't going to quite officially jump into our next season. However, I want a lovely bonus full-on episode to mm. sort of kick things off. And I couldn't help. I, I couldn't help myself. I, I I needed to do this. So we have another show that we're going to do uh, in the next week or two. And all I'm going to say in celebration of its, its, uh, re, its own reimagining, the show we're going to cover, it's just so fetch. <gasps> Girls, 
because it's it's literally coming out this week. Next week, we will be covering Mean Girls, the musical. And this is just so, we quote the show all the time on this show. Uh, I just needed, uh, I needed us to do Mean Girls because it's it's of the moment and it's perfect. So. Oh my God, I'm, that's Steven. He's too gay to function. <laughs> I had to. I just, I just had to. Oh my god! Well, I what an excellent surprise! What a great bonus! And if you guys want to get in on our conversation for Mean Girls for this show for any other show that we've done in the last two seasons, make sure you follow us on Instagram from the top underscore podcast. And if you would like to have a conversation that is longer than what a DM can provide, you can email us at podcastfromthetop at gmail I am so unbelievably thrilled that this season is over, but only because it was such a beautiful ride and I can only truly appreciate things once they're gone because that was a really good ride, Steven. So thank you as always for being my partner in crime and the, the May to my Juliet and the Damien to my, uh, my Damien to my Janice. I just, I don't know what I would do without you. So thank you for an excellent season. Of course. And until next time, this has been From, from the, the top, top, a Wandering Unicorn production. So just imagine. Just imagine. Nothing I can see but you when you dance, dance, dance. Good, good creeping up on you. So just dance, dance, dance. Come on. All those things I shouldn't do. But you dance, dance, dance. And ain't nobody leaving soon. So keep dancing. Never was there a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. The second I release my autobiography, that's out the window.